Coming up this evening on NTD Business. Oil prices soaring 9% today, topping $110 a barrel. The president says he could ban oil imports from Russia over its invasion of Ukraine. An official statement from China. Beijing won't follow the West's actions in sanctioning Russia. Does this mean a closer Russia-China alliance? And Fed Chair Jerome Powell saying the central bank is still on track to raise interest rates coming March, as despite global uncertainty. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here live from New York City. Ukrainian delegates are on their way to Belarus for a second round of ceasefire talks with Russia. They met as recently as Monday, but didn't reach an agreement back then. All this as Russian forces continue to advance on major Ukrainian cities. Back in the States, there's good news and there's bad news on oil prices. The conflict in Ukraine is pushing prices higher, much higher. Today, a barrel of crude topped $110. $76 was the price of January 1st. In fact, at one point today, prices hit highs not seen since 2014. Russia, of course, is one of the world's largest oil exporters, accounting for about 8% of global supply. But Western sanctions tightening on Moscow since the invasion of Ukraine, even though Western countries haven't put direct sanctions on Russian oil exports, today President Biden left the options wide open. A reporter asked him if he's considering banning Russian oil imports. Here's that exchange. President, are you considering banning Russian oil imports? Uh, nothing is off the table. A ban like that could push prices even higher. Not helping the situation, OPEC Plus, an oil cartel that includes Russia, says it's sticking to its original plan to only gradually increase production, ignoring the crisis in Ukraine. Some had hoped they would, imp- they would boost production to help ease the soaring prices. Some potentially good news today, though. The White House is quietly calling for American oil and gas producers to increase production if they want to. One White House official talked to Bloomberg yesterday saying prices are high, so companies can and should produce more. He also dismissed the idea that President Biden's policies were in fact pushing up energy prices. The president, of course, has come under fire for axing the Keystone Pipeline and freezing oil and gas leases. But the spokesperson said there were 9,000 permits for oil and gas drilling that were going unused at the beginning of the year. A new news in today, Beijing says it will not sanction Russia. It's according to China's top banking regulator. Here's Entity's Don Ma with more on why China isn't following Western countries in sanctioning Russia. China's Banking and Insurance Regulatory Commission said Beijing will continue to maintain normal economic, trade and financial exchanges with Moscow. We asked analysts why China refuses to follow other countries in sanctioning Russia. Right before the Olympics in Beijing, where they, they basically spelled out their, their alliance together. The Ukrainian invasion wasn't a spur-of-the-moment thing. So I think China's just doubling down on the fact that uh, they're making good on their agreement. And an economist says if China sanctions Russia, it will hurt China's economy. Uh, the economy's too weak in China. So if your economy's weak, the last thing that you want to do is to try 
uh, and, and, and do things, uh, implement policies like sanctions that are going to reduce your level of trade. Russia is a very important trade partner for China. It is China's second biggest oil and coal supplier and its third biggest natural gas supplier. But besides trade, China has other reasons for not sanctioning Russia. They are cooperating on a number of things at the moment. Russia and China together are trying to develop a long-range uh, aircraft at the moment. A long-range aircraft to, to compete with the A350 and the Boeing 787. China expert and host of Epoch TV's China Insider, David Zhang, says another reason why China doesn't want to distance itself from Russia is because Beijing wants a partner amid the U.S.-China competition. Russia is a key partner for, for China when it comes to this U.S. and China competition. And so if China decides to sanction Russia, then that, that would signal to Russia that China is not really trying to be uh, this, this partner uh, in, this, in the fight. However, China's decision to not sanction Russia may not be without consequences. Zhang says China may face repercussions from the West. Don Ma, NTD News. And more global brands are stopping business in Russia over its invasion of Ukraine. Apple says it's no longer selling iPhones or other products in Russia. Carmaker Ford says yesterday it's suspending all operations in the country effective immediately. Harley-Davidson is also halting business there. America's largest oil company, ExxonMobil, pledged to leave its last remaining oil and gas project in the country. Early yesterday, the world's biggest shipping line suspended container shipping to and from Russia. That means Russia, which supplies one-sixth of the world's commodities, is now effectively cut off from a large chunk of the globe's shipping capacity. Russia's largest bank exited Europe and shortly after was trading as low as a penny on the London Stock Exchange. Now it just hiked savings rates to 21%, hoping Russians won't withdraw their cash. Anthony Zolin Richards has more. Shares of Russia's largest lender, Sparebank, plunged 95% in London Wednesday after the bank said it's exiting the European market. The European Central Bank assessed Monday that Sparebank Europe is failing or likely to fail. I think that Sberbank is announcing that it's exiting the European Union. By that, it's basically shielding itself from the headline of uh, stating that it falls into default. Sberbank said in a statement that the group's subsidiaries faced an exceptional outflow of funds and there were safety concerns for its employees and offices. It also said that Russia's central bank no longer allowed it to provide liquidity to its European subsidiaries and Sparebank's Austrian unit was the first to fail after a bank run and no help from its parent company. Now Russia's central bank says it'll hold daily auctions to help its banks. The Russian central bank gets together the resources of all of the exporters that have some uh, swift access and that continue to receive inflows of foreign currency in order to provide liquidity to some of the Russian banks that are in the most urgent and dire situation. Tress's chief economist Daniel Lacau says it's a desperate measure, but likely the only way in light of the big challenges. And for European banks, he says although ripple effects of the collapse are limited, they're not small. It is still something that can generate significant losses in the balance sheet and uh, create a credit crunch. That's why the ECB is working hard to avoid uh, a collapse uh, in, in, the, in the credit facilities. 
The ECB is now injecting liquidity into European banks that are exposed to Russian entities. This is to avoid credit crunches in countries that have nothing to do with Russia. Arlene Richards, NTD News. Google's Play Store has blocked mobile apps connected to Russian news outlets RT and Sputnik. A number of tech companies have limited distribution and advertising tools to Russian media outlets in recent days. Comes as the European Commission prepares to ban them, out of concern they're spreading misinformation about the war in Ukraine. Apple also blocked the outlets from its app store outside Russia. Twitter says it'll comply with the EU sanctions on RT and Sputnik when those orders take effect. In response, RT's deputy editor-in-chief said the tech companies seem to be afraid of losing their audience if it encounters a different perspective. Sputnik did not immediately respond to requests for comment. So we're delighted to be joined now by the CEO of a relatively new social media platform. If you don't know it already, it's Getter. The CEO is Jason Miller. He's with us. Getter was founded on free speech principles. It was started pretty soon after President Trump was banned on Twitter and and Facebook um, uh, in 2021. So, uh, Mr. Miller, pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, Jason. YouTube and Twitter are restricting Russian media. We all know why, because of the invasion of Ukraine. But as a free speech platform, how difficult is it for you to handle specific cases like this? How, how do you do it? Yeah, that's a great question. This is not something that's uh, easily um, decided or something that can be glossed over, especially since we pride ourselves on being a free speech platform. And even though I'm firmly against the invasion of Ukraine, and I've been pretty outspoken on that front, this is a free speech platform, and I have concerns that it becomes a slippery slope when you start banning news outlets or saying uh, any sort of blanket ban on a particular country, that that then could lead to further restrictions to, say, other countries or to other points of view uh, as we go down the line. Now, that being said, we do comply with all local laws for where we're operating. So, for example, the EU has now decided that uh, RT, for example, that the Russian channels cannot broadcast uh, within the EU. And so in order to comply uh, with that rule, we will not be allowing the live streaming feature uh, for RT and accounts of that nature in the EU. And so that's something that won't be able to do at this time. But there is no blanket ban or blanket Um, uh, blackout policy, so to speak, on outlets from particular countries, they do have to meet our terms of service. So if we see something... Do you worry, Jason, that if you aren't kind of following the, the, the path that these other platforms are going down, you may face a situation like Parler faced after the January 6th Capitol breach where Amazon Web Services took down their platform. Do you worry that people may come after you like that? Now, I think that our terms of service make it pretty clear that if people are pushing illegal activity uh, or if they're threatening self-harm or doxing or using racial or religious epithets, anything that violates our terms of service will be dealt with regardless of what country that they come from. And so we're monitoring that very closely. 
Our moderation teams are on top of that. But again, we are going to comply with all rules that are put in. And so say, for example, if the United States put in the policy and said there's absolutely no broadcasting um, from any of these channels or these outlets, obviously we would comply uh, with, those, with those rules of the land. I'm almost out of time, Jason, but I want to get this question in. So we know that Truth Social is coming out soon. It's already launched by your old boss, headed by your old boss. Are you looking at any cooperation here, or do you see them as a competitor? Well, I would say both. Um, and the reason being is I think you need to realize that it's not as though there's one pot of social media users who will be on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and such, and then a different pot uh, with a, a zero-sum game that's all of the challengers, Rumble, Getter, uh, True Social, that they're all competing. Two things here I'd point out. Number one, Facebook has been in decline for a while now. This last quarter was the first time they actually lost followers. Twitter stock price is down some 50 or 60% over the last six months, ever since we launched. And so I think that as new platforms come on or as we grow, we're going to take more away from them. But the other thing, too, that a lot of people don't realize this, about 20 to 25% of Trump voters quit using social media when President Trump was deplatformed. And so as he continues to make noise, more people come off the sidelines and get active. I'll give you two data points. When he announced in October he was going to launch True Social, we grew by our daily active growth was 135% bigger for that next 10 days as opposed to the previous 10 days. And then last week when President Trump actually launched True Social, our domestic U.S. signups increased by 50%. And so the rising tide does lift all ships. People are used to having two, three, four, five social media apps on their phone. The issue about who they go and delete could very well be the Facebook and the Twitters. Fascinating. Jason Miller, Getter, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Down on Wall Street today, index is sharply higher. The Dow rose 596 points, one and eight tenths of a percent. The S&P 500 gained 80 points, one and nine tenths of a percent. The Nasdaq gained 220 points, one and six tenths of a percent today. The chairman of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, hinted again today that the inflation we're seeing is not transitory. But it seems he won't try to tackle it as aggressively as some had predicted. We phased out our net asset purchases with inflation well above 2% and a strong labor market. We expect it will be appropriate to raise the target range for the federal funds rate at our meeting later this month. Powell recommended raising interest rates by a quarter percent in March, not the half percent some were expecting. Higher interest rates may help fight inflation, but they also mean higher interest payments on your student loans, credit card debt, and some home loans. Stock market, though, seemed to celebrate Powell's message. All three major indexes up for the day. Powell said he expects inflation to peak and come down later this year. We'll see. U.S. electric vehicle startup Rivian Automotive said Tuesday it has increased the selling prices of its vehicles by about 20% due to inflationary pressures and higher component costs. Rivian said the starting price of its R1T electric pickup trucks has gone up by about 17%. Ouch. Its R1S sport utility vehicles up by 20%. Rivian said the price increases would affect most of the customers who have already placed pre-orders for the vehicles. Sorry to tell you. The company said the cost has also increased for certain options like paint and wheels and upgrades like reinforced underbody shields. 
The base price of the Rivian R1T is rising from $67,500 to almost $80,000. And while the R1S is starting at $84,500, up from $70,000. I don't know if those prices are going to come down later in the year. We'll see. Carmaker Ford is taking the electric vehicle industry head-on, with the EV side becoming a separate company with its own financial report. Ford said on Wednesday it will boost spending on electric vehicles to $50 billion, up from $30 billion through 2026. Innovation-focused EV unit running separately from its money-generating legacy combustion engine business hopes to contend with the industry leader, Tesla. Ford plans to build more than 2 million EVs in 2026, about one-third of its annual global production, with EVs rising to 50% of its total volume by 2030. The company does not expect to make a profit on its EV business until the next generation models begin production in 2025. Car dealers have been buying each other at a record pace lately, largely bigger ones taking over smaller ones. So why is it happening and what does it mean for car buyers? Today's Con Fredrickson has more. Car dealers are betting billions that the physical dealership business model is here to stay, despite the internet and direct-to-consumer model. U.S. dealers are acquiring each other at a record pace without closing physical stores. We saw over 355 dealership acquisitions, which included multiple franchises. And the public auto retailers, of which there are six, acquired over $8 billion worth of dealerships in 2021. That is by far the most they've ever acquired in a single year by a order of magnitude of two or three times prior years. Aaron Kerrigan is the founder of Kerrigan Advisors, the firm that made this discovery. Kerrigan says the top six publicly traded auto retailers have outpaced the S&P 500 significantly. AutoNation is the largest auto retailer in the country, followed by Lithia. And Lithia has been the most acquisitive of all of the public companies. We also have Asbury, which has been very acquisitive as well. Kerrigan says the prior peak number of transactions was 288 in 2020, and that many sellers were small and family-owned. It's become harder for many independent dealers to survive. And in many cases, these big groups have just offered tremendous money to buy out even the stronger independent dealers. Paul Eisenstein is editor-in-chief at the Detroit Bureau. Eisenstein says there will be more investments in technology as a result. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. With that, we're going to take a quick break, but still to come this evening. The singer Neil Diamond is selling his entire song catalog, catalog to Universal. How much do people think it's worth? And 5G applications are on show at Barcelona's wireless trade fair, including a 5G-connected robot bartender. That and much more coming up on NTD Business.
Welcome back. Listen up, Fitbit fanatics. The company is recalling about a million smartwatches because they could burn users. The recall impacts four models of its iconic smartwatch line. The Consumer Product Safety Commission says the lithium-ion battery inside the watch can overheat. The agency says Fitbit has already received at least 115 reports in the United States about the devices. 78 reports highlighted burn injuries, four reporting second-degree burns, two with third-degree burns. The watches were sold nationwide in stores and online between 2017 and 2021. You can contact Fitbit to learn more about the recall, including how to return the device, receive a $299 refund. And Neil Diamond just sold his prolific song catalog to Universal for what's assumed to be hundreds of millions of dollars. The 81-year-old Grammy winner retired from touring in 2018 after he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Now Universal takes over his entire catalog and master recordings. That includes 110 unreleased tracks and an unreleased album. He says he knows Universal will represent his work with the same passion and integrity that fueled his career. Financial details of the deal haven't been released, but let's put it this way. Other artists who have sold their catalogs in recent years have made bank. Take Sting, for example. He sold his, his catalog to Universal in a deal worth a reported $300 million. The, world con- the, wor- the Mobile World Congress the telecom industry's biggest annual gathering. It opened its doors to visitors this week in Barcelona, making it one of the biggest physical events since the start of the pandemic. Anthony Andrew Thomas has more. The Mobile World Congress is hoping to attract about 50,000 attendees. Online conferences have become the norm for the past two years. But as the pandemic recedes, the appetite for doing business in person is slowly recovering. Super excited. It's really great to actually be out here, you know, with the real people. Uh, no more virtual meetings, kind of, you know, seeing some of the innovation happening in the 5G space as well. Really exciting. A range of 5G applications are on show at the fair, from 5G connected roller coasters to a robot serving drinks. What we are doing with 5G is add functionality way easier than if you had to do it yourself implementing inside the robot. You just connect the robot with 5G and you can access the functionality we have in our network, such as language translation, face recognition. This year, top executives from Nokia, Ericsson, Amazon and Cisco are attending the conference after a two-year hiatus, while a handful of companies such as Lenovo are attending virtually. But there won't be any Russian exhibitors this year. The event organizer says that's because of the sanctions imposed on Russia for its invasion of Ukraine. Well, we're, we're uh, guided by the international sanctions, and uh, there are some companies that are uh, identified on the sanction list, and those will be barred from participating. Most other big names, including Samsung and Huawei, are showcasing new products at the venue. The trade fair runs through Thursday, March 3rd. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And farmers in northwest Queensland, Australia, are taking to the skies. A new flying school is offering local pilot training, saving time and money for farmers who need to travel huge distances. Introduce Andrew Thomas has more. Airborne in Queensland's northwest, these farmers are learning new skills in a remote part of Australia. There's very few flying schools out here, but the demand for flight training and flying in general is very, very high. 
Colin Burnett is used to driving great distances from his cattle property near Julia Creek, but that's all about to change. I'm driving uh, 60,000, 70,000k a year in my car, so it'll, it'll cut that in half or more. That's around 40,000 miles. Burnett is part of the first cohort at the new Cloncurry Flying School, where students can obtain a commercial or private pilot's license. It's awesome, yeah, it's only a couple of hours from home. Uh, most people have downtime in the wet season, and we, yeah, we can just come here. Before, learning to fly meant traveling to places in the Northern Territory. So the Cloncurry Flying School saw a huge intake in just their first week of training. Getting a pilot license is very achievable. You can um, essentially travel anywhere in Australia. Um, it's a lot of fun, you can just do it for fun, really. While demand is growing for more pilots in the Northwest, it's also going to save farmers time and money. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. That's the latest business updates for today. Can still catch NTD Evening News with Stephanie Cox. It's at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Don't want to miss it. For NTD Business, though, that's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.